Let's open our Bibles to the book of Job. We had chapter 21 and 22 last week. We'll pick up with chapter 23. And Job, as ill as he is, will not give up his cause. He's still maintaining his uh, innocence. And even though in this last chapter, in the 22nd chapter, there are three verses that are outstanding, I believe, is verse 21, 2, and 3, if you'll glance back to the 22nd chapter, where uh, Eliphaz the Temanite had said to Job in verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, and thereby uh, good shall come unto thee. He said, Job, you need to get to know God, acquainted with God. That was a quite a... Uh, bruise to Job, wasn't it, when he tried to stay as close to God, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And th- this fellow says, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby good shall come to thee. Then verse 22, he says, Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up, lay up his words in thine heart. In other words, he says, Job, if you would just believe the word of God and hear it. And yet Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And then the third thing, in verse 23, he says, uh, If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. He says, Job, you need to repent of your sins and turn to God. Thou shalt put away iniquity from far from thy tabernacle. So three things. He says, Job, get acquainted with God, believe God's word, and then he says, repent of your sins. And so Job is now about to answer Eliphaz and his... Uh, Sick as he was, he begins to answer in the 23rd chapter. And by the way, if you read uh, all of these friends of Job and you read Job's answers to them, you'll find that at one point in time, it's not very long till he kind of gets a little bit fed up with their speeches and he just keeps on talking. In fact, from you, when you get to chapter 26, he, he begins to answer Bildad from chapter 25. You get to t- chapter 26, it says, Job answers. Chapter 27, he continues. Chapter 28, he continues. Chapter 29, he continues. It says in chapter 29, uh, verse 1, more where Job continued his parable and said. And in chapter 30, he continues. He goes on and right on down. 31, possibly. But anyway, he just goes on and on. He says, listen, I'm tired of this. I'm going to say something now. (laughs) You guys have been... At me from you've been taking turns. There's three of you now. I'm going to take twi- uh, three times as much time as you guys have had because I believe I've got a sermon too that I want to preach. So he begins it right here in chapter 23. He's interrupted shortly in chapter 25 by Bildad, and he only speaks six uh, verses there. And and if there's anything that's uh, good about what Bildad uh, says. Uh, in a sense, it's that his words were few and he just didn't say as much. He said some good things, though, by the way, Bildad did, but uh, he was misapplying them to Job, of course. Now let's pick up with uh, chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. He says, My stroke is heavier than my groaning. You know, Job justifies his own uh, resentments and troubles, and he justifies himself in, in, in complaining. He says, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. He says, if you think my groaning's great, you ought to know what the stroke of God is upon me. I'm really harder hit than I'm complaining about. He was saying, I could say a lot more about how I feel. In verse 3, oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's speaking of God. That I might come 
even unto his seat. The word seat represents throne, his fixed throne. He says, I would just like to come before the throne of God and bring my complaints directly to him. I would like to bypass these friends of mine and go directly to God. That might have been a good idea too, Job. He said, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Certainly he would rather appeal to God, and he would do so, rather than the censures of his friends. He would choose the just judgment of God. You know, I'll take my position before God before I would before men, wouldn't you? Job was doing the wise thing because God knew all about Job, inside and out. Man only sees with uh, his limited vision and his prejudice sometimes and his uh, uh, judgmental calls and legalism and all the various things that entered into these three that we've talked about. Remember that uh, Eliphaz, the one that had just spoken, was the voice of experience. He says, I've seen this happen, Job, and I know it's because of your mighty sins, and you need to get acquainted with God and repent of your sins and take God at his word and, and all of this. We just read that. And then Bildad is the voice of tradition. He comes up in the 25th chapter. Zophar, the voice of legalism, has already said, Job, you, you're getting only just a part of what you deserve. And so Job has decided he'd rather appeal to God. And he says, oh, that I might, knew where I might find him. Verse 4, I would order my cause, my cause before him and fill my mouth with, with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. In other words, he believes that God would be, well, more able to explain his situation than these men were. And he was right about that. And he says in verse 6, Will he plead against me with his great power? Would God come against me with his great power as mighty as God is? No. But he would put strength in me. God would strengthen me. In spite of the fact that Job knew that he could not stand up before the Almighty and the Holy One as, as being innocent altogether, he knew that God would deal justly with him, at least. You know, we read in the book of Genesis, remember when Abraham said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Job felt that God would do right too. And by the way, he'll do right concerning any one of us and every one of us. There's not anything that we've ever done that will not be justly taken into account before God. And even the fact that, that we have accepted Jesus and accepted his judgment that he bore in our place, and so God is not going to judge us again for what, what judgment he has brought, brought upon Jesus as our substitute and our sin bearer. That's why we can be so thankful for the Lord and his sacrifice. Because we don't have to suffer that anymore or face that. He bore our, the penalty of our sins, the judgment of our sins. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And that means that that final great judgment that God is going to be just in dealing with those who are covered by the blood of Christ and say that their judgment has already been met, their penalty has already been met, and therefore they are forgiven and clean. The slate's clean. And that means that final great judgment that will separate us from God. All right? But he's passed from death into life. Look at this verse uh, 6 again. He says, no, he would put strength in me. Verse 7 says, There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. He count, accounted God as his judge, which he is the judge. And we know in the New Testament we have further revelation that he's committed all judgment unto the Son. 
that the Father himself judgeth no man. But all of that is committed to Christ. If you read Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says that he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That's Jesus. Whereof he has given assurance unto all men that there is a judgment, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Just as sure as Christ is resurrected, there's going to be a day of judgment. And so he gives us that uh, assurance. Verse 8 says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. Forward and backward indicates forward is the east and backward the west. In other words, in either direction that he goes. If I go forward, he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Uh, The left hand is the north, the right hand is the south, as far as the representation here in the Scripture is concerned. He says, if I go forward, he's, I can't, uh, he's not there. If I go backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth, his, uh, doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand that I can, cannot see him. In other words, Job was complaining that he cannot understand the meaning of God's providence concerning him, and he knows that God is a witness to his integrity, and Job's uh, conscience was testifying that he was walking in the way of God in the next verse or two. But he says, God is, is so unseen and unknown, his presence is so unseen and unknown to me that I can't find him. In fact, if you look back in verse uh, 3, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come unto his seat, to his throne. Have you ever uh, felt like in the midst of... Uh, even as you're, as a Christian, with all the knowledge we have of the Word of God and in the New Testament, and the fact that God has said that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Have you ever thought about the fact that still we're so far from really knowing the presence of God? Because it's like uh, the psalmist said, uh, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Is there ever a time in your life that you feel like that I just wish I could get closer to God? Well, that shows that God is away from us to the extent that we, we are never satisfied with the, with the closeness that we need to have with God. But someday it will be known. And our human flesh and our sins have limited that, that uh, and have become a barrier to that closeness that we would like to feel and know. But one day all that will disappear and we will really know the presence of God. The Bible says, In His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you get that? We have some joys here as Christians, don't we? But we have limited joys because there are other things that are sorrows. But it says, In His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And only in eternity, only after this life is over, only in the presence of the Lord, will we know the fullness of that statement. All right. It says in verse 10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job says he knows that I try to follow his way, his law, his word. He says, I know God will approve of my conduct finally. He says, My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept. You know, in the Old Testament, the way of God, the way that God would have you to follow him, as God led his people. You know, we're the ones that follow in his way. 
And it's much the same in the New Testament word to follow. Jesus said, He that walketh after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But all the way through the Old Testament, to walk in the way of God was to be following God. And so Job says, My foot hath held his steps, and his way have I kept, and not declined. He says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I've obeyed his word. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In the margin it says, More than my appointed portion. He says, I have counted the words esteemed or counted, reckoned, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It's kind of like what Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I wonder if we could feel as close to uh, the word of God as Job felt when he said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We know we put a lot of emphasis on, upon food for our bodies, upon our portion in this life. But Job says... If I had to choose, he says, this would be the, the, the thing most needed for my existence would be God's word. Do we find God's word that precious to us? But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. He says, God is sovereign. You know, God does as he pleases. He says, for he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Job did not understand what God was doing to him. But he says, evidently, it's in God's sovereign will that all of this is happening. He didn't understand it. But he had to recognize that God knew what he was doing. You and I get to the, to the place. Have we gotten to the place that regards to what happens in life? Can we understand that God is in full control of it? And, you know, we don't like to suffer. Job, I'm sure, you know, from all of his complaints, we could see that he was not very happy about all this. And neither would you and I be. But on the other hand, he recognized that God was at the head of all of it, that he had power. He was sovereign. Notice he says, for he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. In verse 13, he is of one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. He knew it must be in the will of God, or at least the permissive will of God for all that was happening to him to happen. You know, God will not permit anything to happen to us that, that he does not oversee, even as, as far as Satan's attacks are concerned. The devil attacks our bodies sometimes. We have trouble. We have sicknesses. He attacks our families. He attacks our, our uh, economy, our lives. Uh, sometimes our finances, sometimes various other things that pertain to our existence. And in the midst of all of it, he only permits these things to happen to a certain length. And he's still in control of them. That, I believe that's why Paul said that I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. He said, I've been hungry. He says, I've been destitute. I've been beaten. I've had all these persecutions. He said, but he says, now I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things that were sent unto me, of the, the Philippians. And he says, uh, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And if we'll learn that our condition physically and e uh, economically and materially is not always as bad as we might picture it to be. And so let's trust it to the Lord and thank him for what we do have. You know, as far as possessions, riches, wealth, material things, we're going to leave them all behind one of these days anyway. Everything. It's all going to be left. And 
the blessings that God has given you, therefore the purpose that he's given you to enjoy, to be blessed, to be happy. If you have something left to pass on to your family, that's great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world because, uh, you know, God has, uh, in his providence, ordered it. And do the best you can with what you have and just go on in life and trust God day by day and everything will turn out all right. In verse uh, 15, he says, Therefore am I troubled at his presence when I consider I'm afraid of him. Job feared God, didn't he? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm troubled at his presence when I consider I'm afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. What does he do? He softens his heart. God has to do with hearts. Isn't that a peculiar thing? God maketh my heart soft. These are much like the words of Jesus in the New Testament. Many things that happen in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. He's the one that's able to soften hearts that are hardened. And the Almighty troubleth me. In other words, he brings conviction. He brings uh, uh, the things to mind that I need to think about. God causes us to stop and think sometimes. Verse 17, Because I was not cut off before the darkness, before calamity, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face. In chapter 24, why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away the flock, away flocks and feed thereof. He's speaking of the, the wicked and the wickedness that goes unpunished. And he says some remove landmarks. Remember they were told by Moses not to remove in Deuteronomy chapter... 19, verse 14, it says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. The landmark was the stones or the post that was set there for the corner of the property. Possession. It says, Don't remove your neighbor's landmarks. It would be easy to come along and a pile of stones out here representing someone's acreage or someone's... Uh, a possession or inheritance and take that and put it over some other place to suit you to suit you. But you're not to do that. We have people that do that nowadays too, don't we? And uh, I think Brother Modisette can understand how people change property lines here and there. Try to claim more than belongs to them. Especially being in real estate. But you know, we're not to remove the old landmarks. They stood where they were placed. They were to be counted uh, for the property. And they not only remove property, but flocks and even the shepherds, the ones that feed them. Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof, or the ones that feed the flocks, the shepherds of the flocks. They drive away the ass of the fatherless, the orphans. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. Take anything they have. They turn the needy out of the way. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. They oppress people. And you remember how that one accused Job of being wicked and doing all these things of oppressing the poor and all the things that's in the chapter before that. Uh, in fact, Eliphaz, the very chapter before, uh, said uh, in verse uh, 5, is not thy wickedness great? And he says this to Job. And thine iniquities infinite, for thou hast taken 
a pledge from thy brother for naught, and strip the naked of their clothing. Thou hast given, not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast uh, withholding bread from the hungry. He said, Job, you've taken bread from the hungry. Verse 9, he says, uh, Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Therefore snares are round about thee, and sudden fear troubleth thee. And he's telling Job that he's guilty of all these things. So Job is saying that though you've said this about me, it does apply to wicked men, and yet even the wicked men are not cut off as some have predicted that they would be, but they continue to live and prosper. This has always been a problem with mankind, to understand why that the poor suffer a lot of times and the wicked prosper and go on. It's been a, it's been a troubling thing, hasn't it? And verse 4 says, they, back in chapter 24, verse 4, they turn the needy out of the way, the poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold, as wild asses in the desert, they go forth to their work, rising betimes for prey, it's a way of life for the wicked. They rise every day uh, for a prey. The wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. They reap every one of his corn in, his, in the field, and they gather the vintage of the wicked. They carry off the grain and the harvest of olives and vines. They cause the naked to lodge without clothing, that they have no covering in the cold. They strip the poor of their clothing. They want, they want what they have coming, the rich. Remember, James speaks of the rich that oppress the poor in the book of James. It says in verse 8, They are wet with the showers of the mountains and embrace the rock for want of a shelter. They pluck the fatherless from the breast and take a pledge of the poor. They cause him to go naked without clothing and, and they take away the sheaf from, from the hungry. They have the hungry people and the poor people carrying the sheaves and they take away the sheaf from the hungry. When you think in contrast to this, remember what happened in the book of Ruth. Old Boaz came and as Ruth was gleaning in the field. He said, let her glean wherever she wants to. And he said, and besides that, let fall some handfuls on purpose for her. He says, there's going to be something there she didn't even expect. Give her not only what is due to her under the law, but what is due to her under grace, Boaz. And we could go into the whole story there, but we won't have time. But this is quite a contrast, isn't it, as to how wicked men treat people. Remember when old Boaz came out to the field and he said to his servants, uh, The Lord bless thee. He said, How are you today? The Lord bless thee. And they, they spoke back to him. You find that today when you go to work? Not very often. <laughs> it's get busy. Why haven't you already got all this done? It's seven seven thirty, and you got you've had about five minutes already to start. You're not through yet. So, but in our country, I do think we have more of consideration and in a lot of places in times past, and we can be thankful for it. But I, I do say that uh, a lot of times people are, are heartless about those others that work for them. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be a mutual relationship between servant and master, between employee and employer. And when you find it uh, proper, it works well for both. And by the way, the workman needs to be under the impression that it's his business to make money for the, the man he's working for, too. So it has two sides to this story, doesn't it? You don't go and work. Someone says, I'm making this fellow a lot of money. Well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. If you wasn't doing that, he wouldn't have hired you in the first place. Right? That's what he hired you for, is to help him make, make it. 
And if, if you couldn't help him make it, he couldn't afford to hire you. So this works two ways. Capital and labor has been an argument from time beginning. But it has to have an equal balance and, and just, I can't understand. Of course, I better not get off into this. But these baseball players, all of them expecting to draw more money than the President of the United States and, and griping because they don't have, you know, enough money. My goodness, how much do you want to make a year? Over a million bucks? You can, go, you can eat pretty good on that, can't you? And, uh, but they're never satisfied. No one's ever satisfied. And then the guys that, that hire them, they're making billions and millions and billions. But on the other hand, I don't know where they're going to draw the line. It seems like the more each of them get, the more each of them want. Never any satisfaction. You know, that's why Jesus told those people, he says, and be content with your wages. And John the Baptist. So, come on down. Let's find this. It says in verse uh, 11, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. They have all the, look, they have the wine, they, they work at it. They tread the wine presses and they suffer thirst. They won't even let them have anything to drink. It says, Men groan from, uh, from out of the city, and the soul of the wounded crieth out, yet God layeth not folly to them. At least he hasn't so far, is what Job is saying. Even though these men are so wicked and so oppressive, yet it seems like that God hasn't judged them. Well, he, he hasn't, but he will. At least until the time that he says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then they'll answer, won't they? But it seems like they're getting away with it. That's what Job is putting out. Verse 13. They are those are of those that rebel against the light. Look, they rebel against God. In their conscience and, and in his light and in his word, they rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof nor abide in the paths thereof. They will not follow God's word, God's paths. They rebel against the light. If there's any conviction of conscience within, they push it off. They resist the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul is talking to Timothy and says, some that resist the Spirit. And then the Bible says, grieve the Christian can grieve the Holy Spirit. Some resist. The, the unbeliever resists the Holy Spirit, rebels against the Holy Spirit. The believer many times grieves the Holy Spirit. You and I are in that category. We preached on that a week ago. So uh, we don't need to, to put ourselves in a position as Christians to grieve God's Spirit. But these people rebel against the light. In verse 14, the murder rising with the light killeth the poor and needy. And in the night is as a thief. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. He runs out of the, the house of adultery and says, No one seen me. Well, God sees it all. And all sin is open to his eyes. The Bible says there's no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And he may hide it from men, but he's not going to hide it from God. Verse 16 says, In the dark they dig through houses. By the way, they literally did. They were made of mud and adobe and, uh, you know, that kind that they had to dig through the walls, which they had marked for themselves in the daytime. They know uh, not the light. They had marked out these houses, and they dig through them and into them and rob them. For the morning is to them even as a shadow of death. If, if one knows them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. He is swift as the waters as the waters, their portion is cursed in the earth. He beholdeth not the way of the vineyards. Drought and heat consume the snow waters, so doth the grave those which have sinned. 
finally they're going to meet their end, aren't they? It says in verse 20, The womb shall forget him, the worm shall feed sweetly on him, he shall be no more remembered, and, and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. There's coming a day of judgment for all. He evil entreateth the barren that beareth not, and doth no good to the widow. He draweth also the mighty with his power. He riseth up, and no man is sure of life. Though it be given him to be in safety whereon he resteth, yet his eyes are upon their ways. God sees it all. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all other, and cut off as the tops of the ears of corn. It says God's going to finally bring it to nothing, isn't it? And if it, if it be not so now, who will make me a liar? And make my speech nothing worth. Job says, you know I've told you the truth. Chapter 25. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places in the heavens. He says, is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth doth not his light arise? Then he asks a question. How then can a man, can man, be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? You know, the only answer you find to that is in the New Testament, isn't it? In the Old Testament, they asked the question, but they didn't seem to have the answer. You know how man's justified with God? Through the blood of Christ. And how the, can a man that is, uh, that is unclean, how can he be clean that is born of a woman? The Bible teaches that our, our uh, justification and our uh, cleanness, our acceptance is through Christ and his redemptive work. And so he really anticipates that which will come to us in the future, or to them in the future. It's already known to you and I today through the gospel and the message of the gospel. In verse, uh, verses 2 through 4, he shows how glorious God really is. He says, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. And he says, Is there any number of his armies, and upon whom doth not his light arise? Verse 5 says, Behold, even to the moon... And it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm. That means that is a worm as a worm would be uh, putrid. And the son of man, which is a worm. And there's another word here for worm, which means his weakness. So two different words there. Then we'll come to chapter 26. But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? Job uh, answers Bildad, and he says that he had really done him no service, and he had brought no strength to him by his answer. How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom, and how hast thou pl- plentifully declared the thing as it is? He hadn't done Job any good at all, had he? To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Have you done me any personal good by all you said? Dead things are formed from under the waters, and the inhabitants thereof. He begins to tell now uh, upon the subject of which all have agreed. Uh, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar all have agreed the, of the infinite glory and power of God. And they have argued this case time and again. And Job says he's going to remind them now that all of these things are in God's presence. He says, Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretched out the north over the empty place in which he has. And hangeth the earth upon nothing. God's hang, hang the earth upon nothing. You know we're a little planet out here? A little one, by the way. You know, we think it's a great world we live in. It's a great earth and so large, but it's so small, really. And it's 
it's hanging upon nothing. It's in space and turns upon its axis and revolves every 24 hours so that we have day and night. And God set it here in space. And he, uh, the north part of it is, is a vacancy, a void space for a great distance. Notice what it says. He stretches out the north over the empty place. Job is smarter than some of our scientists today and some of these guys that look up in the heavens. And he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Well, they, they, they think they can understand all this. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. He takes, uh, and, and the cloud is not rent under them. Have you ever thought, did you look up there in that cloud? Have you ever thought of what's really there? I mean, there's tons and tons of water up there. God just holds it up there. But now, when I get ready, I'll just give it a little flip and it'll start turning loose and you'll have a flood. You have some water dropping down, won't you? See, God controls all of that. Sometimes we take all these things of nature and of creation for granted, don't we? He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. He's garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. This is just like a whisper of what God has to say. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Chapter 27. Notice it says, Moreover, Job continued his parable. He says, boy, I've got the floor now. I'm going to keep it a while. <laughs> and he continues in chapter 27 and chapter 28 and chapter 29. And 29 verse 1, it says, Job continued his parable and said, his three friends now have to give him plenty of room to speak. They've had their turn, haven't they? And Job resolves to hold fast his integrity. And he says, As God liveth who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Job had a lot of uh, things they could accuse him of, but he says, I'm not going to turn against God, and I'm not going to speak wickedness. And my tongue is not going to be deceitful. He knew that everything was before God. God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. In other words, Job says, if I admit that all that you've accused me of, that would justify your accusations. Remember, they had accused him on every hand. And he says, God forbid that I should justify you. I'm not going to admit that you've told me all that's wrong with me till I die. Uh, will I not remove mine integrity from me? My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. He wants to make sure that he, that they know where he stands. You know, they had had plenty of turns, all three of these fellows, to accuse him, accuse him, and accuse him. And he says, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of letting you think you figured out my case. Because then they would as much as say, well, Job, we told you so. He wasn't going to permit that because they hadn't told him so. They had spoken a lot of truth in various ways, but they were, supply, they were applying all the things to Job uh, that they said about wicked men and wicked people and about his sins and about 
uh, why all the things were happening to Job. Job says, I'm not going to give you satisfaction of that. You know, it's good for a man to know where he stands. And I believe it was good for Job to know this. Now, the only thing later on we find, and when we get to it, and our time's about gone, but when we get to it, we'll find out that when Job saw God face to face, it was a different story altogether, wasn't it? Now, he could do this with his friends, and really they were not justified in, in what they were accusing of. And God, God tells us that in the last chapter, in the 42nd chapter, that they didn't know what they were talking about, that they had not spoken truth concerning uh, his servant Job. But in that same chapter, before that happened, Job says, Now mine eye hath seen, and he says, my, I have heard with my hearing of my ears, and I seeing of my eye, and he says, I repent in dust and ashes. Right? Because he saw God. Now, we might justify ourselves before men, but when we stand before God, we better see that we're still human beings altogether. We'll pick up with uh, Job chapter 27, verse 6. Job 27, verse 6 in our next lesson. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll go on with Job's answers and then get into the, the next. There's another fellow on the scene that's Elihu, or Elihu as some speak of, 